Hello and welcome to Discovery's four-part series on global investing, an investor's guide to getting it right. I'm your host, Bruce Whitfield. In this final episode, we're turning to industry leaders to hear their opinions and perspectives. Joining me, Kenny Rabson, Chief Executive of Discovery Invest, and Nazmira Muller, the Head of SA Investments at 91. Kenny, let's start with you. What does the term global investing mean to you? Bruce, uh, really, it's quite simple, to be honest. Instead of just allocating your assets from a South African perspective, in terms of your normal asset allocation, you would allocate a portion of your assets to other economies around the world to get diversification across other currencies, other geographies, and other investment opportunities that you wouldn't be able to avail yourself of on the South African stock exchange. So really, investing offshore uh, is quite simple. It could mean literally taking the money offshore, or it could mean getting exposure to offshore investments, but through South African-based or South African-domiciled funds, which according to regulations are all allowed to hold a portion of their fund in offshore assets. So there are various ways of really achieving it, but basically it's just getting exposure to other markets around the world from a diversification point of view. Thank you, Kenny Rapson. Nasmira Mula, often we're told that really diversification globally for the vast majority of people who've got a couple of hundred rand a month to spare actually isn't worthwhile, besides which 70% of the top 40 shares on the JSE's earnings come from offshore, whether that be British American Tobacco or Richemont or any of the other multiple companies that have got global operations that have developed those over the last 20 or 30 years. Is offshore investing for everybody? So I think offshore investing has a role to play in almost every portfolio. I think the size of that offshore investment will depend on an individual's particular circumstances. But while the JSC may offer plenty of offshore exposure, it's not to the entire universe of investments that are available offshore, and it's not to all of the sectors that are available. So yes, we have really good exposure to Chinese tech through NASPERS, through mining and through luxury and tobacco. But there are a whole lot of sectors that you would get exposure to in a US portfolio or even a domestic Chinese portfolio that you can't access through the SC. Nazmira, let's just cut to the absolute chase here. I mean, the fundamental reasons to invest offshore, just lay them out for me. It comes down to three things, essentially, Bruce. I think firstly is a wider pool of opportunity. So it's an access to a greater opportunity set, which always adds to your investment potential returns over the long term. Secondly, it's the geographical diversification beyond just South Africa and beyond just the geographical access that the companies on the JSC give you access to. And then thirdly would be currency diversification. Even though you look to live in South Africa, it makes sense to have some portion of your investment invested in other currencies as well. Kenny, often when people you know, get this idea of offshore investing, they think to themselves, I understand property. I've got a house in South Africa. I've got a beach house. If I get a nice house on the Algarve or I buy a London property and I get a, a rental income, I'm getting offshore exposure. I'm getting currency protection. I'm getting income on my investment. And they begin to feel like a bit of a genius and they go and put their money into bricks and mortar because it's quite comfortable for them to do. Is it a sensible idea? So I would say as a starting off point for South African investors, it's not a great way to get started along this journey. You know, if you think that you may live in that particular area, 
then by all means, you know, look at properties. But properties, of course, are illiquid. They have quite a lot of costs associated with them, like maintenance and certain taxes, etc. So it's quite an expensive way to get into an offshore investment and probably should only be done if you're looking to live in a particular area or if rental yields are just so attractive. But even then, you're still stuck with the physical asset that at some point in time, if you do want to get rid of it, it may be an inopportune time to have to do that. I think the various programs that are advertised to get citizenship, you know, that decision of buying a property in a certain country to get citizenship is typically more dominated by the decision to get the citizenship than the decision to make a great investment. If one really wants that citizenship, then maybe it is something to explore. Again, I think you're still stuck with all the disadvantages of holding an illiquid asset in a place that you really may not want that asset over the long term. And we've all seen that property does go through cycles as well. Uh, Very often when you want to realize that asset, the timing is bad. It's not that easy to get rid of the asset. And it's fairly complicated dealing in properties in other jurisdictions. So if you were talking about the 101, of offshore investing, I would say that's not a 101. It's a question of liquidity. It's also a question of if a country is prepared to say, you can have citizenship of my country if you buy a particular asset in a particular area, you've got to wonder why the locals don't like it in the first place and why, if it's not good enough for them, why is it good enough for you? You know, you've got to have your smarts on when you're going into this sort of process, Kenny. Absolutely. As I say, it's not where we start off in terms of building your portfolio diversifying it. By the way, often those property prices are fairly high. So it becomes a very disproportionate asset in your total portfolio as well. So you're sitting with a high proportion of your assets in one property in one particular jurisdiction. And in fact, I would say that's got its own risks associated with it as well. And again, understanding local rules, understanding local taxes, understanding the consequences of getting in and out of property investments also becomes very complicated. This idea of jurisdictions, Kenny, really does scare a lot of people. People worry about putting money in offshore destinations. Should they be going to Bermuda or to Guernsey? Or does, from a South African perspective, a bank account in New York City count as offshore? Help. Bruce, it's very simple. You must remember that all the various companies that offer investment opportunities are using a certain jurisdiction purely from a a tax efficiency point of view. And what they mean by that is that you will pay less tax as an investor. You're typically investing, or the administration, I should say, is typically being done in a jurisdiction where minimal to no tax is actually paid. The stock exchanges are not in those jurisdictions. Of course, you're still trading on the main stock exchanges around the world, be it New York, London, Hong Kong, Paris, etc., So really, it's an administration hub in a certain jurisdiction that gives you all the tax benefits. The life officers and asset managers have all done their research to make sure that their administration being done through those places is absolutely sound. All your assets are held in custodian accounts and are protected, etc. So there's really no concern for a client thinking, should they have to choose between a jurisdiction or not? You don't have to worry about that. 
Nazmira, other than the diversification into sectors that we can't get access to in South Africa, I mean, the FANGS shares, for example, the scariest sector of the market as we speak, uh, whether that's Facebook and Amazon and Netflix and Google. And I'm going to stop there because I'm going to leave one out and feel like a twit. But we can't get access to this particular asset class. If we wanted to buy LVMH versus Richemont, for example, it's about not only asset allocation. It's also about geographical spread. The US economy flying high until the coronavirus crisis. China seemingly over the crisis more quickly than others. Why do we take this quite complicated step of putting money in other jurisdictions when, frankly, if I just pop it into my local fund manager's portfolios, I'm saving money, I'm investing, I can convince myself I'm doing a decent job? So, Bruce, I think the answer is actually encapsulated in in your question to some extent. You want to have exposure to more than the universe your local fund manager will give you access to. So one of the things we've started to do is increasingly look at our offshore exposure and look specifically at what we don't have access to in South Africa. And it's about that complementarity to your local portfolio that I think is is really important. I think for the average investor on the street, trying to pick whether it's, I think you left out Alphabet, you got Apple and you forgot the second A there, but pick between Alphabet and Apple is, is not what the average man on the street wants to do. But it's about for a long time period, having that access in your portfolio and having that broad exposure to a, a range of markets is what I think makes sense. If you look at the best investment outcomes, they tend to come from people that had the broadest opportunity set and managed to pick the best opportunities within that. And that's what adding offshore to a local portfolio does. It gives you that broadest potential set of opportunities. Kenny, I mean, as Mira says, we don't want to pick between Apple and Alphabet, for example, but also what do we know about picking between whether it be American equities, whether North American equities, whether it be European equities, whether it be Chinese equities, for goodness sake. I mean, again, it's another layer of huge complexity that we want other people to deal with and to deal with effectively on our behalf, I think. Bruce, I think that's spot on. And that's really the feedback we got from the advisors that uh, support Discovery Invest. You know, you can give them a huge list of funds and it's very difficult for them to do asset allocation on a global basis. And as you say, once you've done that, to pick particular equities around the world. And then on top of that, to understand the different currency impacts of doing that, which just adds that extra dimension to it. So it's been our view to really try to partner with companies that we believe have a global presence and are able to do that for us. It's that very reason that we approached BlackRock and Goldman Sachs to do that work for us, just because of the presence that they have globally. They're just operational in so many different countries around the world and just brings a huge level of expertise to South Africans looking to make very, very difficult choices. How do we balance a portfolio, Nazmira? I mean, do we need to worry about that sort of thing in the 21st century as we, we, we look at our you know, $100, $1,000, whatever it is that we're looking to put into offshore investments? So we've made that big decision initially. Now we've suddenly got to worry about global diversification. Big words. Yeah. I think it's not about an individual trying to do it by themselves. We're talking about large opportunity sets, which you have managers. And I think it's about trying to find people you trust in the space. 
Because Bruce, let me give you an example of the complexity. So we were looking at the Chinese ETFs because you want exposure to China. China's going to perform very well. And then one of the portfolio managers in our team, Rehana Khan, did some analysis where she pulled out the holdings in that in the Chinese ETF. And 70% of it is Chinese state-owned companies. So that's not what they want exposure to. You want exposure to domestic Chinese consumer growth. So the ETF's not going to give it to you. But it's about being able to trust that people you partner with are going to do that level of analysis and understand that if you're trying to add Chinese consumer to your portfolio, how are you doing it and what opportunities you're selecting. And I think that at this point in time, if you're a South African-based investor, you have plenty of exposure to commodities in the economy. So what you want are the other things. And it's that long-term consumer spending growth that you get out of economies like China. It's those long-term structural trends that the FANGs will potentially offer when their valuations make sense. You tell me, Kenny, about the currency, because so much of what South Africans worry about is not necessarily about local equity performance versus global equity performance, although people who think about it a little bit will be perfectly aware of the huge discrepancy in returns, particularly over the last five years or so. When we look at the currency, that seems to be the prime emotional driver of sending people offshore. And it's possibly the good, a good instigator, but at the same time, it's a very, very dangerous thing to be thinking just currencies when one invests. Bruce, I think that's correct. It certainly is the driver of a lot of the decision to move offshore. I think we've seen that the RAND depreciates against the sort of major currencies on an annual basis, kind of reflective of the interest rate differentials between South Africa and other countries. And therefore, over the long term, the RAND is expected to depreciate against currencies like the US dollar, the British pound, etc. It may be overcooked at any point in time. So for example, when we look at the RAND, how it moves, it doesn't tend to kind of just move uniformly throughout the year down by that interest rate differential. It tends to kind of get hammered in a short period of time. And then we see that it tends to kind of track back to the the more normal level where it's expected to be. But there is a view that the RAND is a little bit overdone at the moment and that its intrinsic value is better than the current level it trades at. Nonetheless, I think, you know, if you have a mindset of investing over a five to 10 year period or longer, the current exchange rate shouldn't worry you that much. You know, you hear very often people talking about the current exchange rate and saying, well, maybe it's going to strengthen a bit. I should wait to do my investment offshore. So I don't hold that particular view at all. My view is you need to think, you know, where will the RAND be over a 10-year term? And that should really guide your decision in terms of moving into other currencies. Of course, it gives you great diversification. Any investment professional will tell you that, you know, diversification, which you get for free, it's something you should be using in, in your portfolio construction. And then I think the other important point is that whilst one does get exposure to offshore currencies in local unit trusts, because a lot of them have an offshore exposure, it's very different from a tax efficiency point of view. So if you keep it in a local unit trust, then on RAND depreciation, you'll pay capital gains tax. If you take the money genuinely offshore, because through the right structures that are set up to achieve this, then you won't pay capital gains tax on the RAND depreciation. So certainly if you're able to take the money genuinely offshore, 
tends to be more tax efficient than keeping the money onshore. Kelly, that's such an important point. And Asmir, I wonder if you can answer the question about jurisdictions, because depending on where you put the money, that has tax consequences in those jurisdictions too. Yes, Bruce. I think that that difference between using local feeder funds and keeping the money in the SA tax net versus taking it offshore creates a different level of complexity. And if you're going to actually take the money offshore, then you need to be able to deal with tax implications, both onshore and offshore, off having the money in a foreign jurisdiction. But it does mean that at any point in time, if you need to have the money paid out of that fund and it's offshore, it can be paid into an offshore bank account. Whereas if you use a local feeder fund, and you then decide to redeem, you will be repaid in rands in South Africa with, as Kenny mentioned, the subsequent tax implications. Okay, so Kenny Repson, let's talk money. If I've got a thousand rand a month or 10,000 rand a month or a hundred thousand rand to invest, how might I approach it in my particular case at a thousand, ten or a hundred, for example? Because if I'm going to try and trans- uh, translate a thousand rand a month into dollars every month to go and send off to some offshore investment, I'm going to lose a huge amount on the currency translation. In that case, I might be more suited to buying a local fund that invests offshore on my behalf. So, Bruce, there are investments available where you can invest small amounts on a monthly basis offshore. Currently, Discovery is the only one that does it using the million rand allowance, where we allow you to take that $100 or whatever you want to do, take up to $4,000 a month offshore. The reason for that amount is just we need to ensure that clients don't breach the million rand allowance on an annual basis. And it's quite simple. It's like a normal application form like any other investment product. There is some paperwork around it, just proof of funds. And then pretty much the investment is set up, the money is sent offshore through the, all the right custodians, and it goes into the underlying portfolios that you've chosen, You know whether you've chosen one of our more managed solutions through BlackRock or whether you've chosen from our whole list of funds where we offer a couple of hundred funds on the offshore platform. For those advisors that are more specialized and know what to choose, they can certainly do that. What we've done through the All Funds platform is we've provided a curated list of 73 funds, which we believe kind of tick all the boxes. So there are different ways of people doing it in terms of sort of a managed solution by BlackRock versus picking all their own funds. And if they have a higher investment amounts, then they can go into share portfolios. But that's typically for lump sum investments, $100,000 and above where clients are able to avail themselves of a more bespoke share portfolio. So it's actually quite easy to do. It's like setting up any policy in South Africa for 100 rand a month. You would do the exact same thing in dollar terms. Uh, We would debit you on a monthly basis the rand equivalent of that dollar contribution. So every month your debit order amount would differ based on the exchange rate in that month. And what we try to do is keep the costs quite low. So you can change currency for between four and six beeps, which is above the prevailing rate, which is really a good rate. It's typically a rate that you wouldn't get if you went as an individual to a bank. But to many houses like ourselves, we have arrangements with companies that change the currency on a bulk basis for us at a low charge. So it's actually quite easy to do. And the, the paperwork's quite simple as well. Effectively, clients are using that million rand call it investment travel allowance, 
which means they don't have to apply for any tax clearance to be able to do that. The paperwork up front is a little bit more onerous because of the counterparties overseas just doing their checks on money laundering and all the various things that they check up on. So it takes a little bit longer to kind of get it done. But once it's up and running, it really works incredibly well. And it's been a very, very popular choice because many people don't have lump sums, significant lump sums to actually put offshore at the moment. So the ability to do something on a monthly basis is very attractive to many clients. Nazmira, talk to me about this concept of mean reversion. It's an important one to understand. Mean reversion is that over the long term, valuations trend back to their historical average. The idea being that over a long-term period, the fundamentals will drive the behavior. And if you're looking for currency diversification in South Africa, that makes sense because we tend to run a higher inflation rates than many developed markets. We tend to run higher interest rates than many developed markets because our inflation rate's higher, which means you expect the currency to depreciate by, you know, on, on current terms, at least 3% per annum, historically about 5% per annum. And we know that there have been periods when it's been a lot more than that. And therefore, if that's your baseline expectation, it makes sense to have more than just 100% of your assets in rands. Uh, And that's an important one, because as they say, Kenny, I mean, the old fashioned way, the trend is your friend, which is the easy way, I think, of saying mean reversion, because we expect over longer periods of time that your money in South Africa will depreciate in value versus money in many other jurisdictions. Absolutely. We know that there's this debate at the moment of whether the currency is sort of at a reasonable level to take your money offshore or not. Should you wait, let it strengthen a bit? And of course, it's anybody's guess where the currency will go. We introduced a benefit called the currency enhancer. So what it does is if you're taking a lump sum offshore at the moment, the current exchange rate for the dollar would be around 16 rand 60. And if you were taking the lump sum endowment with us, we would give you that investment as if the currency was at 15 rand 50 at the moment. Now, what actually happens is We invest for you at the current rate of 16.60, but if you're still there in the policy at the end of the 10-year term, we will treat your total policy as if you'd invested at 15.50. So it's pretty much like about a 7% enhancement from day one to your investment, but you have to be there for the duration. Why do we do that? Of course, we do believe people are looking to take money offshore for a year or two probably shouldn't be doing it. The costs, et cetera, might make it uh, too complicated. But if you're doing this for the long term, and that's what we really believe equity investment should be about, then we will let you in at a better currency rate, which takes away that whole debate of whether the currency at the moment is appropriate or not. Because if you're getting in at 15 and 50, I think that's probably at the lower end of where most economists would say that the rand value should be. Maybe Nazmira can give more insight sort of on her view of where the currency should be. And that, I think, Nazmira, takes away a lot of the emotion around timing because people get so obsessed. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do it next month. I'm going to do it this month. Next month is better. Oh, it may get even better. And suddenly you get caught up in a lot of the detail that is actually so destructive to the process that we're trying to encourage. Chris, that's exactly it. I mean, investing for retirement or for long-term savings should be a long-term decision. I'm going to show my age now, but, you know, I started in financial markets in 2000. And a year and a bit later, we had a major RAND crash. And what surprised me 
was in January 2002, most people wanted to take money out of the country. The currency is at its weakest, and that's when most people wanted to take money out. The rand then proceeds to strengthen from, you know, it briefly touched 11. I mean, right now, 11 to the dollar would be viewed as massively strong. At the time, it was 11, but it proceeds to strengthen back to five rand something. And at five rand something, nobody's interested in taking it out. And it's that emotion that I think is really important to take out of the system. And therefore, something that is systematic, like the debit orders Kenny's talking about, or just taking a long-term view on, I want to achieve this, I want to be able to retire with this or save to this, and working towards that on a systematic basis, I think is really important. Kenny, to answer your question, where do I think the RAND's going to be? We tend to take the view that the RAND's likely to strengthen into year-end. The terms of trade are in our favor. The domestic economy is so weak that the current account is likely to be close to surplus for the remainder of the year. But I think on a longer-term view, the jury is still out because it very much depends on the fiscal situation in South Africa. But that's a conversation for another day, I think. Again, we go down the rabbit hole of the currency, but it is about avoiding mistakes. I think it's Warren Buffett, Nazmira, who so famously says, you make money if you make more good decisions than bad decisions. And as long as you're making more good decisions, you'll make more money than anybody who makes more bad decisions. And it seems incredibly simplistic, but I think we have to look at this in the simplest possible terms, because otherwise we just create this massive level of intimidation. Exactly. And that's why I think it is for most people out there, it's about identify your long-term goal. If you intend to live in South Africa on a longer-term basis, you want to have some significant portion of your savings in South Africa, but you don't want to have all of it here because you want that wider opportunity set. And and you need to do that on a systematic long-term basis. I think that's as simple as I can make it. Give me a sense then, if you would, on getting the basics right so that we don't make mistakes. Have a clear idea of what your long-term goal is. And long-term may be five years if you're 30, or it may be 30 years if you are 45. So I think it depends on where you are in your life stage, but have a clear idea of what your goal is. And then have a plan around that, because the plan helps take the emotion out of it. People are often very emotional about money. And then you add in stock markets and price movements and currency movements to that, and the emotion just gets amplified massively. Given how concerning the news flow is that we see on a regular basis in South Africa, it's very easy to just get super bearish and decide to take most of your money offshore. And the view is entirely, I just need to get out of RANDs. But if what you're going to do is you're going to get out of RANDs and sit in a money market account in the UK, that's a bad decision (laughs) because you're not earning anything when interest rates are zero elsewhere in the world. So you have to have a long-term plan and manage towards that. And and that's the way I think about it, is try and build in enough protections that you take the emotions and the knee-jerk out of it. Because if you can take that longer-term view, that's when you successfully build up that long-term savings pool that actually protects you when you need it and allows you to achieve the things you want to in life. Nazmira Muller, the head of South African Investments at 91, and Kerry Rabson, the chief executive of Discovery Invest, wrapping up our series for an investor's guide to getting global investing right. One thing's for sure, from exciting new investment options, currency diversification, and preserving or building your wealth over time, there are many compelling reasons to invest offshore. 
If you want to empower yourself with the knowledge and tools to help you make more informed financial choices, you can find an entire info hub on offshore investing at discovery.co.za. It's a go-to resource for all South African investors. Remember, time and global growth trends are your biggest friends. So don't delay it. Educating yourself and consulting, of course, a trusted advisor. I'm your host, Bruce Whitfield, signing off and thanking you for tuning in. We hope that this journey has been insightful and it inspires you to take action and invest well to secure your financial future.